Hello, and welcome to the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. On today's episode, we're honored to have Dr. Valentina Gracci, research scientist from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Valentina, welcome. Thank you. And as we spoke about um, earlier, the reputation of CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, is absolutely incredible. Could you give us a high-level overview Mm -hmm. of yourself and the work that you are doing at CHOP? Yeah, sure. So I'm a scientist at CHOP. I do research. 40% of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is actually a research institute. And I'm actually an employee of the Center for Injury uh, Research and Prevention at CHOP. We are one of the many um, center of excellence that CHOP has, and we focus mainly on research. But because CHOP is um, a hospital that has a research institute, our research can be really translational. So because we have direct um, contact with the stakeholders, particularly at the Center for Injury Research and Prevention, we uh, talk directly to the industry and particularly to the automotive industry. Uh, we have a direct channel of communication with them besides receiving funding from them for our research. And so that helps the research to goes to go to be translational, basically. What I do at the Center for Injury Research and Prevention at CHOP is researching automotive safety. I work in a laboratory mainly, but I also done conduct a study, for example, on a test track. And we look at the um, behavior mostly motor control and movement in children and um, adults in vehicles, for example, during the pre-crash maneuvers, which are crash avoidance maneuver. And particularly my work uh, is also oriented towards the autonomous vehicles because one of my interests is to look at the effect of warnings and particularly warning that are based on our physiology, so warning that exploit our startle reflex to make you act faster. In my research particularly, I look at two populations, adults and teen drivers, because there is a lot of research on adults. There is a less focus on teens. And what we do at CHOP is really trying to find technological solution that um, see teens in the, um, in the front hand, because teens and children are not just tiny adults. They're actually physiologically different. And so the solution that you find for adults may not, be, may not match um, teens and children's. So if you only focus on adults, you might overlook specific needs that these populations have. And that has been done in the past. If you remember the airbag crisis in the 90s, uh, airbag was designed for adults, and that led to that crisis. So, and it's impressive. And with uh, with teenagers, you know, they're they're new to driving. They've never been driven before. Uh, never driven before. But they love one thing. Generally, every teenager we all know loves their phone. Yes. Yes. And we're seeing numbers of dis- distracted driving. Is that? having any impact material impact on your research because that's a huge trend that wasn't here even 12 years ago yeah that's a very good question particularly my research has targeted the use of phone in children so when i was in teenagers sorry when i say children i kind of like um include teenager and also little kids. But in this case, teen drivers, we know they are very affected by the phone. And our center have done research that understand what kind of destruction um, and disruption the phone provide to these teen drivers. My research in particular, research on warnings in autonomous driving, it's as particularly targeted teens because they respond differently to the warning as adults do. 
one of the uh, warning that I design on a start of reflex seems to work good in a way, in a, in a very good way on adults, but it doesn't as much on teens. And teens seems not to be responsive or understanding the urgency of the situation like adults do. So yeah, I think teenager is a good population to target because particularly when they are at the phone, their posture in the car is different and seems to be different from the one that adults have, the adults have. And so the phone make them poo, um, lean forward. And that means that they might not be in the optimal position within the seatbelt. And so if the car goes in a crash, then it might sustain different injuries or greater injury than an adult that doesn't have a phone in the hand. So definitely that, that is a, um, teens is definitely a target population and the use of the phone in that population is high. So we need to figure out how to solve that. And you said something interesting, um, leaning forward and there's studies that are starting to come mm -hmm. out now where children and teenagers, they're, they're, they're hunched over all the time Yeah. when they're going over that, when there is a, a crash mm -hmm. and they're hunched over. What are the like the impacts that you've seen in your in your research? Because it seems that if you're sitting back properly, properly mm -hmm. restrained, you have a better chance of survival. Where if you're hunched over, you might not have a well, as good of a chance. Can you kind of talk about that from your research? Yeah. So we have done a um, in vehicle study. So we tested teenagers and children um, during a emergency braking on a test track in a vehicle, and so we haven't looked at the initial position of the teen drivers, but what you see in an emergency braking is that your head and trunk are displaced forward. So if you're already, and, and you get displaced forward in, in a way that is not injurious, of course, it actually, the seatbelt kind of keeps you safe. But imagine if you're already forward and then you go into a, into a pre-crash maneuver that displaces you even more forward than your likelihood to hit your head or to um, contact the compartment is high. So it's, it's interesting. It's a, every research that look at the position of the body within the seatbelt and understand how the restraints keep us safe or how to change the restraints to keep us, keep us safe is an alternative seating configurations, like in the one in the autonomous vehicle. All this research is very relevant. Um, and it's relatively new, but really we always looked, we always looked at the position of the um, occupant in the car at shop because we know that that, for example, children are notorious for not staying in the optimal position <laughs> within the seatbelt. So how do you fix that? And how is going to change when you have children in autonomous vehicle and you have alternative seating configuration? How would that change? Um, how do we keep them safe? So there's a lot of research on um, that topic and the shop, we take that uh, definitely in our agenda. Yeah. As the um, automotive mobility industry shifts towards full autonomy. Um, earlier in the week, we saw Cruise announce their new level four vehicle where the there's four passengers, you, you face one another. Mm -hmm. What is the optimal seating for safety? So that's a question that had to be answered with research. <laughs> I can, I, I don't, in an alternative seating configuration for autonomous driving, I don't think I can answer that question. I don't think I have enough data to know what can be really safe and even and it, is it possible that we could design restraints that make you safe in alternative seat in alternative city configuration and based on that we could decide what are the most safe positions 
Of course, with the traditional restraints that we have now, the applying just take them as they are now and putting them in a situation where you have an alternative seating position, they might not be as safe because they've been designed for the current vehicles where you're sitting in a specific position. So we cannot just translate them in a alternative seating configuration without testing them. So it's hard to tell. I think um, we need to do research now to understand how to change the restraint to have passengers that look one another or um, they drive recline or they, they, they sit reclined. And these efforts towards that research. I think at SHOP what we did is to look also at what alternative seating configuration people really like. Because maybe people don't like sitting in front of each other. I mean, why do, why do we do that? Maybe they don't like that. And so, and also how does, for example, family with two kids and two parents sitting in front of each other, do you really want to look at your kid for four hours? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, I, I, it's, so we try to resolve that question with questionnaires and focus group and experiments that also look at not only in engineering and biomechanics, but also at the human factor and uh, behavioral science. So involving all the discipline to reply to this question, it's very important. And so I think more research has to be done to completely reply to your question about what is it safe in the alternative seating world. Is the industry doing research? Um, in an earlier podcast, we had Dr. Mark Rosekind on, former NITS administrator. He's the chief safety innovation officer at Zooks. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation about seating mm-hmm. in the vehicle and how, you know, the safety. And he's done incredible research based on his long, distinguished career of safety. And one of the interesting things in the Zooks vehicle, the vehicle, it's a level four vehicle, will not move unless every passenger has their seatbelt buckled. Oh. And I was like, okay, this is a really great positive yeah. um, for safety. That's why I was asking you what that distinct seating is because yeah. I'm going to call my friends in the industry and say, well, you have to talk to Dr. Gracie <laughs> because guess what? She's got incredible research that's going to help save lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, we, it, it, that's a great feature having that feature. It's like many parents don't start to drive until their kids buckle up, you know, and that's the autonomous car behave like your parent and says, we're not going to drive until, you know, it, it the autonomous car might be, if the autonomous car wants you to buckle up, it might be perceived as more as an authority by everyone because the car won't go until you do it. So uh, it would be good for adults and kids at that point. Yeah. Is you, is in, in your research, you eliminate the teenage rebellion. Oh, oh mom and dad <laughs> yeah. said do this. Well, the car says uh, that. The car says it. Okay, and, and essentially, <laughs> in, in their eyes, the car could be an iPhone. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's an app for that. <laughs> Put your seatbelt on app. <laughs> so it would be nice, for example, in that contest to understand how that feature is perceived by teen and children. You know, children, we conducted a study. Um, uh, my colleague um, App conducted a study where we uh, tried to understand what children see in an autonomous car and what opinion they have. They want a button somewhere, they want an emergency exit. And children have opinion, a variety of opinions. So this should can be considered in the picture too. For example, in this conference, I heard many times that what are the vulnerable po- population right now in the car? And I heard females, obese, um, population or elderly. I haven't heard as much children. Children are a vulnerable population that have to be considered too and have opinion and those opinions are going to affect their behavior in the car. So we do need to consider them in the automation world. We, we have to. And the children's opinions um, 
are very important. And I have a daughter, she's six. <laughs> and very fortunate my daughter's been in varieties of self-driving cars. She's been in full level five vehicles with no steering wheel. Like she's been very lucky to experience this wide range of uh, mm-hmm. vehicles because of her dad, what her dad does. But there's one interesting thing that a lot of parents have read and I read to my daughter and to her friends is there's a great children's book called If My Car Did What? <laughs> and this boy had this imagination to build a car. Oh, that's awesome. And it's a self-driving car driven by a robot. Wow. <laughs> I, um, Daddy, I want to put a pool. I want an ice, I want an ice cream. I want a hamburgers. And these children's, what they want in a vehicle is really impressive. And you're right. We do need a child's opinion because the mm-hmm. children that are born today are going to be the leaders of tomorrow and they're going to, they're going to shape policy. They're, they're going to be president of the United States. They're going to do incredible research um, like you're doing at world renowned institutions. And so it's really important for that. My big question for you is you're doing this great research. You're doing it under an extremely well respected brand mm-hmm. of chop. Why is it being done at a world-renowned children's hospital? That's a very good question. I think if a, if a hospital is addressing the health of children in a very holistic way, then it has to consider traffic injury prevention and traffic injury in their topic of research and topic of investigation because motor vehicle crashes are the leading cause of death for disability and death in children. So that's very important. We, we have to stop to think about crashes as only a transportation issue is a health issue too. So it's very important to consider that in a children's hospital. So we're very proud that we do automotive safety in a children's hospital because it's needed. And that's an opportunity for us to step in and allocate for children, put them at the front end, design technology around them, because they are a vulnerable population. It's interesting advocating for children because they don't have a loud enough voice to cut through the noise. They don't have a Twitter account to yeah. cut through the noise. And the the crash data is disturbing, what you just mm-hmm. shared about children. Is that due to parents and uh, loved ones and caretakers not understanding how to properly buckle them into a seat? Is it not using child seats, booster seats, what's, can you shed some light on that? It's a combination of factor. I think, I don't know, of course, you know, the use of booster, of child restraint, so booster seats and child seats have definitely improved the uh, life of children. They're more safe in the car. We know that, you know, the booster seats and child seats and child restraints have, um, play a great role in keeping children safe. Are they perfect? Nothing is perfect, of course. There's always space for improvement. And there is research done and sponsorized by many child seat manufacturers that look at how can we improve, for example, the compliance, how you mount and buckle up your kids in a child restraint. So there is a lot of research about that. So that we can always improve on that safety, but they definitely been a great tool. If crashes still happen, they happen because, of course, there might be some some problem with the fact that the kids don't stay in the optimal position within the seatbelt. How do you change that behavior? How much the restraint maybe can do just as much, but how can you nudge that behavior from to make ch- children um, more safe in the car? So one thing that we should do is do a user-centered design of child restraints, of vehicles, of seating. So we have to think about 
the user itself, his behavior, and do and design technology that are user-centered. Because if you impose a specific position and behavior, that's not going to work because humans are going to do what they want. They're humans. So how do you make them, how do you make any technology and any safety tool that we have user-centered so that they get used in the right way, they get buckled in the right way, and they might, that way, improve safety. So I think that's the reason why motor crashes are the leading cause of death in children, because this research has to be done. For many years, children were not were considered tiny adults and were maybe not the high end of many technology. But now we know better and we are improving that research. And a job we took that very seriously is one of our goals at the Center for Injury Research and Prevention. So there's definitely going to be space for improvement, but we do have the need to remember that children is one of the population that is vulnerable. It's not just elderly, obese, and females. They are vulnerable too. Ch- children, children are our future. Mm-hmm. And when a child is a five, six, seven, and they're in a booster seat, depending on their size, the parent starts to teach them how to buckle up. And it's a mm-hmm. sense of pride for the child. And yeah. it's a really probably more of a sense of pride for the parent. And we teach children that we teach him uh, how not to use a phone. And we set, we try and set really good examples. Mm-hmm. When, when you design the restraint for mm-hmm. an autonomous vehicle, now let's remove the parent from that aspect. And so you have a child that's five versus a, a child that's 12 or a teenager that's 16. Mm-hmm. It's going to, how, how are those restraints going to change? Do you have any thoughts on that from your research? So the way now it works, you have a booster seat. So if the booster seat in a child is up to nine, um, up to eight years old or shorter than 145 centimeters height or four uh, feet, nine inches, then the booster seat kind of put uh, your body up so that the seat belt fit perfectly. If you don't have a booster seat, the seat belt is likely to slip out because you don't have any contact with the, with the, body. That's why you have booster seats. So you can have booster seat, the booster seat put your body high and so your seat belt fits better. And so that's why we have, we have a specific height for booster seat and specific age because that kept into account the size, of course, of the, of the person. A teenager, most of teenagers are big as much as adults. Not all of them. Teenager has a great variability in body size. You can have a 13 years old that is very tiny or 13 years old was looking more like a 15 years old. So that, and we found in our uh, research that there is a lot of variability in trunk and head displacement uh, during a pre-crash, a simulated pre-crash maneuver because of the variability in size of that population. So that's a good population to target in case we want to figure out to change the restraints, for example, for automation, autonomous car. It's it's going to be interesting in, in the booster seat. I had no idea because I always mm-hmm. wondered, like, oh, why do you need a booster seat? Now that you tell me that it raises them to, to okay. help increase their safety, that's wonderful. When you start to look at children and mm-hmm. autonomous vehicles, when do you expect that there'll be a point where a child will ride in the vehicle without a parent, a, a supervisor, uh, to go to school or to go to a sporting event or to an after-school activity? I don't know exactly when that is going to happen. I know we have Uber and it doesn't, you know, I think there are like restrictions on how old you have to be to ride a Uber by yourself. But if, if a car is an autonomous, how do the parents see 
the fact that this child goes in the vehicle by itself. Uh, can the vehicle be hacked? Can the vehicle be, is there an emergency exit that the child can activate itself? So these are all good questions that will have to be addressed. And so that's why we need to design technology with children in mind, because there's going to be behavior that children may do that put them at risk. And so what does it mean to have them alone in a vehicle? When you design an autonomous vehicle, an autonomous shuttle, do we think about that? So these are all open questions, and um, we definitely have to think about that for the safety of children. And design technology with children in mind is something you should probably trademark because it, it's brilliant. And as the trust with autonomous vehicles in society has developed over the next 5, 10, 15 years, and you continue to do this incredible research around mm -hmm. children and autonomous vehicles, what research do you see yourself conducting once more um, everyday Americans and individuals around the country and, and around the world are riding in autonomous vehicles and children are starting to ride with their parents. What research do you kind of see evolving over the next 10 to 20 years that you, that you might start to focus on? So one of the concepts about creating technology that is user-centered and is specific for teen and children is definitely a topic that it's very important for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and we have been part also of a larger com um, conversation with many other scientists uh, about them, with many other important researchers from the industry. So what research has to be done to improve that in the future years is we definitely have to keep doing studies and involve children and teens and so as a human subject, um, we do have to include them in a focus group. We do have to include teen drivers, for example, in naturalistic driving studies. Um, we do have to test them in setting where we look at pre-crash maneuver, at takeover scenarios, or how they would behave in a vehicle setting where there is no steering wheel and we have technology that allows them to interact with the vehicles that are not looking like the technology that we have now. So we definitely have to look at that type of research. And as we look at that research, I think it's really important to keep in mind that we have to design technology mm -hmm. with children in mind. And I'd like to really thank uh, Dr. Valentina Gracci for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast and sharing your absolutely incredible vision and research around autonomy in children. And it's a topic that I hope that more individuals will continue to study mm -hmm. and engage with Valentina and have these discussions because they're really important because the children uh, today, they're, they're our future. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it Share your feedback, we love comments, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE Podcasts, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.